All right, 1 Corinthians 15, we're talking about the resurrection and uh, the purpose of the resurrection. And I have read uh, Corinthians, I don't know, hundreds of times, I don't know how many times. And I've always known the importance of the resurrection, but I'm gaining some new appreciation for just the import of this whole truth and understanding of the resurrection. And I hope this morning really blesses you. It really did me. In the first 11 chapters, we talked about the power of the resurrection. And we talked about how the resurrection was not just some story the disciples made up to uh, convince everybody that Jesus was risen from the dead, but that he really physically, historically, dynamically rose from the dead. That Paul says over 500 brethren saw him at one time. The 12 apostles saw him and they were willing to go to the, their death because of that truth. It changed their life forever. And the scripture that we really focused on last week was this scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. That says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So God's grace and, and the resurrection power of the Lord was imputed to Paul in such a way that he was changed forever, and he didn't just rest on his laurels on that one-time experience but he realized that that resurrection experience was to change his entire life every day. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, he said, If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him, listen, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. Now he was speaking there primarily about the bodily resurrection. But it's much more than that. You've got resurrection power within you every day of your life. Every day of your life. And we have to respond to that and put that to work. So Paul now, he addresses a bunch of false teachers. And there were teachers there that we're teaching that the resurrection really didn't happen. That Jesus came in spirit and appeared to them in spirit, but he really didn't appear bodily. And John wrote about that in 1 John. He said, you'll know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error for everyone who says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of the spirit of truth. And so there was this growing deceptive group that was starting to say that everything was spiritual, that there was no bodily resurrection, that it's all about just the spiritual truth and awareness that they were going to have. And it doesn't really speak to our life, this whole thing about the resurrection. Paul was off base. And so Paul then begins to remind them about the purpose of the resurrection and what God intended to do when he raised Jesus from the dead and how that impacts our lives. So I want to look at these verses, first of all, verses 12 to 13. And the first point I want to make is this. The resurrection reminds us that we are called to walk in a miraculous faith. Now, all of us have been disappointed in life, all of us. 
And if you've been a Christian long enough, you've prayed for something that didn't happen. Right? And, and you can try to explain that away, but we don't always have explanations. You've asked for something, it didn't happen exactly the way you asked, or you prayed over someone to be healed, and they died. I mean, there's disappointments in life that we just can't answer. And sometimes when that happens, when the answer doesn't come the way that we think it should come or in the time frame that we want it to come, we're tempted to start to think that maybe this whole stuff about God being a miracle-working God really is just more of a fantasy than reality. We all face those doubts. And the empty tomb reminds us. I mean, that stone rolled away, that empty tomb that was never answered in history, reminds us that we serve a miracle-working God. That His power is not run dry. It is not just for the disciples' era. It is for our era, too. We sang that in the opening songs. I want to see miracles. I want to see signs and wonders. Lord, I want to see you. And wherever you are right now in your life, you may be facing things that, that just are not happening and you, you have labored over them in prayer. I want you to realize that the purpose of the resurrection, one of its key purposes is to remind you never to give up, to remind you that God is still a miracle working God and you are called to walk in the miraculous. Verses 12 to 13. If Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Verses 14 to 15. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. So in verses 12 to 13, to reject the resurrection is to reject the miraculous nature of God. And vice versa, to affirm the resurrection is to affirm the miraculous nature of God. Do you understand that? And our whole faith stands on this one thing. If Christ did not rise physically from the dead, then nothing that I'm saying to you this morning has any meaning or merit. Why would we just even stay in a room that doesn't have proper air conditioning? It would just be time to go home if none of this was true. But because it's true, I'm willing to sweat. I hope you are too. Glory to God. Let's sweat together. Now, <laughs> verse 14, to reject the resurrection is to reject not only the miraculous nature of God, but the fact that he's working in your life to fulfill his promises completely. Philippians 1.6, he who has proclaimed and promised a good work in you will also complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's not one promise that God's spoken over your life that he will not bring to pass. Now notice I said that he's spoken over your life. Not necessarily that you've spoken over your life. So I've told you this before and I'll say it again. Every time I get on a plane, I say this long prayer. I cover everything. But every time I get on a plane, I realize 
that if my calling and my purpose is not fulfilled, I'm walking off that plane. Because God is going to fulfill His purposes in my life. Now, there have been a lot of purposes that I've added to His purposes. And they haven't come to pass. And I've had to lay those on the shelf. But the things He's spoken over my life, brothers and sisters, He's going to complete if I'm faithful to Him. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap a harvest if you don't lose heart. And I want to tell you, don't lose heart this morning because you serve a miracle-working God and that empty tomb reminds us that God is still in the miracle business. The fact that you're here this morning and that you're saved and that you know you're going to heaven and that you're redeemed is the fact that He has worked a miracle in your life, the greatest miracle of all. He's given you a new heart. He took out that old stony heart that was cold and angry and filled with sin and broken, and He gave you a heart of flesh, a heart that could love Him, a heart that could have communion with Him, a heart that could talk to Him, a heart that could hear His voice. He's called you His precious sheep, and He's the great shepherd. And you know that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you never have to fear any evil because He's with you. His rod and His staff will comfort you. Now there are those who preach a gospel without power. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.5, they all act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. I want to tell you, I want to hang around people who believe God. I want to hang around people who pray with a belief in God. Hebrews 13.8, this is from the message. There it is from our standard text, but I love this from the message. For Jesus doesn't change. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, listen, He is always totally Himself. Jesus doesn't change. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, He is always totally Himself. Point number two that I want to make is that the resurrection reminds us that this life is not our final destination. Most of us live as if this life is everything. It's all that we're ever going to accomplish or do. The fear of death comes from a very root of that fear. And when you reach uh, midlife, you know, you go through a midlife crisis. Some of you think I'm going through another midlife crisis since I got rid of my convertible and got my charger. But that's just, you don't know me that well. I'm just going back to my original roots, my Mopar roots. But I realize that this life is not it. And when I look over my life, I can be disappointed. Listen, every one of us, when you reach 20, when you reach 30, when you reach 40, when you reach 50, when you reach 60, I don't care what, what age it is, but every milestone birthday, you look back over your life, did some of you think this? Boy, I really haven't done what I thought I was going to do. Anybody brave enough to raise your hand if that's true? Yeah, all over the place. Yeah. Man, my life, I thought by this time I was going to have this or accomplish this or be here or that. And you know, but I want to tell you, if we're so focused on this life and we don't see that our life goes beyond this life, that we're preparing now for eternity. It's like hanging out in kindergarten and getting discouraged that you can't be on the high school football team. You know, I mean, this life is like kindergarten. 
And it's going to be over faster than we think. The years go by faster and faster and faster. The older you get, I thought, man, they go slow down. Maybe they'll slow down. And they're just like, this is already August, right? And we just had our congregational meeting yesterday to start the new year, and now we're already looking at Christmas. How many of you have seen the stores are already looking at Christmas? And the years go like zoom and zoom, and little three-year-old, four-year-old kids are now going to college. How does that happen? In a blink of an eye, Mom, right? In a blink of an eye. Verses 16 to 17. For if the dead don't rise, then Christ is not risen. Verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, our faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. I wanted to make one note about when Paul said about it being preaching empty and your faith being empty. The word empty there in the Greek means an empty vessel destitute of anything of value. And then he goes on in verses 18 and 19. He says, they, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Amen. Tell you something. The Bible is full of a lot of wisdom. But if all we're using the Bible for is wisdom, we may improve our life to some degree, but it's still a temporal life that's going to end, and there's no hope of an eternal life with that. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're not going to heaven. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I'm never going to see my mom and dad again. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if you've lost a child, and you know the pain of that, you're never going to see that child again. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this life is all there is, and I'm just depressed right now. Because I didn't do my bucket list. I don't even have a bucket, let alone a list. <laughs> but thank God that Jesus is risen from the dead and Christianity is not just about what wonderful teachings you know Jesus wasn't crucified for his wonderful teachings he was crucified because he called out the truth in a broken and hurting and dark world and he said to the religious leaders of his day you brood of vipers he said, woe to you hypocrites. He said, woe to you Pharisees and scribes. And he called them to the carpet for their hypocrisy. That's why Jesus was crucified. John the Baptist didn't lose his head because he ate uh, locust and wild honey and wore funny clothes. John the Baptist was beheaded because he said to Herod, hey, Herod, you married your brother's wife and that's not lawful. And the brother's wife didn't like that. And she got her daughter involved, and they, you know the story. That's why John was beheaded. And Paul spoke out the truth, and he spoke about the resurrection. And he spoke about the resurrection of Christ, and that's why he was killed. The resurrection proclaims that we're set free, listen, from both the penalty and power of sin. If we're only forgiven in this life, but we're not transported into the next life, and there's not an eternity, and we're not going to be bodily raised with Christ, then we just have a philosophy. We don't have a faith. Verses 18 to 19, we read that. It says, The resurrection proclaims that the hope of eternal life is not merely a hope. It's our blessed assurance in Christ. It's not just a hope. 
I'll, I'll never forget the vision the Lord gave me of my grandparents. I saw them. I saw my grandfather after he died. It just was so vivid, and he was walking into heaven, and there was Jesus, and there was my grandmother. And I just saw Jesus and my grandmother from behind, and I saw my grandfather's face as he walked up to Jesus and my grandmother, and I saw the smile that he always had when he sat in his rocking chair, and my grandmother would talk and 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 talk, and no one could talk because my grandmother was talking. She talked so much, and my grandfather would just sit in his rocking chair and look at her, and he'd smile like this. Now, that wasn't because he was hard of hearing. It was because he loved her. He loved her. And I got that story wrong. I'm sorry. It was, it was Jesus and my grandfather when my grandmother died after walking to there. But I knew it was the three of them. And then I saw my grandfather's face when my grandmother walked up to him with that same grin. Hallelujah. Verses 20 to 21. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection proclaims that the new creations in Christ Jesus, who we are, we are, we are just following in the footsteps of Jesus. Everything that he's experienced, we're going to experience. We're now experiencing his righteousness. We're experiencing his peace. We're experiencing his love and his joy in this life. But I want to tell you, we're going to walk in a glorified body. And somehow I have this feeling that that glorified body for me is going to include hair. And when I see you on the streets of heaven one day, don't be miffed if I greet you like this. <laughs> Verses 22 to 23, For as Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, and after those who are Christ at his coming. The resurrection reminds us that we not only have an eternal life ahead of us, but we have an eternal purpose. If you have an eternal life, then you have an eternal purpose. And your purpose is not to accumulate in this life. Your purpose is to fulfill the will of God for you in this life. What is God's will for you in this life? And if you're not doing that, I don't care how much money you have, how many toys you accumulate, I don't care what phone you're carrying or computer you own or car you drive or home or vacation home you have. If you have all those things, one day you won't have any of those things. And where will your eternal reward be if you're not doing what God is calling you to do in your life today? That doesn't mean you all become ministers. That doesn't mean you all pastor a church. It doesn't mean you all quit your job and put on those funky clothes that John the Baptist did and go out to Lake Weatherford and eat locust and wild honey and preach the gospel. What it means is that you see your life as a divine calling and that God has a divine purpose for you. And this isn't it. This is your training ground because eternity is a whole lot more than 100 years, isn't it? Can you even remember when you were two years old? No, you can't. I remember one thing. I swallowed a penny. I was crawling around. My mom was doing dishes. I don't know why I remember this. I swallowed a penny, and it came out. Okay. Number three. Let me read this scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. 
Maybe my mom told me that story too many times. Maybe I don't really remember it, but anyway. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, that's this life, but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. Number three, I only have four points. And so if I'm done quick, I'll let you out early because it's getting hot in here. Number three, the resurrection proclaims that God is fulfilling all His promises through Jesus Christ our Lord. The culmination of all things, not just the things of redemption, but listen, the culmination of everything is wrapped up in the resurrection. Did you realize that? I'm going to show you some verses here that maybe none of you have thought about before. But I love it that Eddie sang that song. Two seraphim, and then it goes, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Because it's going to make my point. Verses 24 to 25. Then comes the end. Paul's talking about the resurrection. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign, notice that, for he, Jesus, must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And we read in Hebrews chapter 2, 8, and 9, you've put all things in subjection under his feet, talking about Jesus, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not see all things put under his feet, but we see Jesus. And isn't that the truth? We know that everything's under the authority of Christ. I hope you know that as believers. But when we look at the world, it doesn't look like it sometimes, does it? And that's an objection by a lot of people who don't know the Lord. They say, if God is in control, if God is a God of love, then why is all this evil? But when you read the book of Revelation, you understand that God is working out His full plan for mankind from the fall of their sin all the way to the restoration of their lives and the, and the total redemption and resurrection, the physical resurrection of their bodies. And so Jesus right now is still in a glorified body. He is still in the same state He was when He rose from the dead. He is now sitting at the right, seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's still reigning in that capacity as the Son. But that's not going to be all the time. Look at the next couple verses. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So as you read the book of Revelation, the last thing that happens is that Satan and Hades, death, are thrown into the lake of fire. You see, the last thing that's going to be destroyed is going to be the enemy himself and death itself. And Jesus now is reigning as our Lord and Savior until the last enemy is destroyed, which is death. Verse 27, for he has put all things under his feet. But when it says all things now are under Jesus' feet, it's evident that he who put all things is under him is accepted, meaning that the Father is not under Jesus' feet. And so we find that Jesus placed himself willingly, even though he's equal with God, 
under the Father in this role as the Son. Are you with me? And now as the Son, He's ruling and reigning, completing the Father's work of redemption, and He's in that role under the Father until the last enemy is destroyed, and that enemy is death. Now if the resurrection wasn't true, none of this would be true too. But look at verse 28. Now when all things are made subject to Him, including the last enemy, which is death, then the Son Himself will also be subject to Him who put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. The resurrection proclaims that this work of God is going to be complete, and Jesus Himself, listen to this, Jesus Himself is going to be restored to His original position as the Logos of God, the Word of God, that reigned eternally with the Father and the Spirit. In the beginning, John 1.1, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father. Jesus willingly humbled Himself, ranked Himself under the Father, became the Savior of the world, is now seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over the affairs of earth. Everything has been placed under His feet, yet there's a process of this old work of redemption. And the last thing that's going to happen is when death is destroyed and we are resurrected in our bodies, whether that's instantaneously meeting Him in the air or those who have died before where their bodies are raised and reunited with their spirits. And when that's done, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more evil, there'll be no more sin. And when that happens, he'll come to the Father and he'll say, Father, your work is completed. And it says, then he himself will lay down that role and he then will take his role as the word. I lost the back of this. And God will become all in all. Thank you, sir. And God will become all in all. When you read the book of Revelation, you read that we all now are in the presence of God, chapters 21 and 22, and that there's no need for the sun or for the light because the glory of God is our light. And so now we wait for Jesus to fulfill all of this so that we can be restored back into the relationship that Adam and Eve forsook in the Garden of Eden. And what a wonderful promise and purpose of the resurrection. At the final resurrection, when Jesus ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, He will cease to operate as the Son of God and will be fully restored to His eternal role as the Logos of God, the eternal Word. And the last point. Worship team, come on up. The resurrection is our call to suffer for Christ and the very reason we're willing to lay down our lives for the faith. Look at verse 29. That was there. Verse 29. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all when they are baptized? For, why then are they baptized for the dead? Okay, what does that mean? I don't know. In fact, no one really knows. And if anyone says they know, they're not being honest with the text. There are dozens of different explanations for this very troublesome verse. 
In fact, some cults have taken this verse and they've used it as part of their doctrine of their faith where they are using genealogies to find out all the dead people in your family so you can be baptized for them to bring them into the faith. That isn't what the Bible's talking about. We really don't know what it's talking about. We don't know. Paul never mentions it again. We never read about it in the book of Acts. We never read about it anywhere else. Even the, the church fathers were, were stumbling over this verse. What did Paul mean? Was he referring to a cultic practice? Was he referring to some practice of a sect of the church? What was he talking about? No one knows. It doesn't really matter because here's what matters. Whatever it was without the resurrection... It didn't mean anything. And I want to tell you, whatever it is in your life without the resurrection, it doesn't mean anything. That's the point. Verses 30 to 32. And why do we stand in jeopardy, Paul says, every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus the Lord, our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. The Apostle Paul was stoned. He was thrown over, <laughs> shipwrecked. He was whipped. A stone three times. Some people believe that the thorn in the flesh was that actual torment and torture that Paul went through. And that because of the great stoning and persecution he had, that his eyesight and his speech were bad. And that's why he said, it was hard for you to look upon me, and it was hard for you to listen to me. He couldn't really possibly see as well or hear as well or speak as well anymore. Think about it. If you're stoned three times, left for dead, that's going to leave an impact unless you're just totally miraculously restored every single time. And so we don't really know what that thorn was, but we know that Paul went through all of that, and he was willing to do that. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because he knew that this life wasn't what he was living for. He was living for the Lord, and he was living for the blessed hope of Jesus returning again. And he knew it was true because he saw Jesus, and he talked to the others who saw Jesus. And he was willing to die for that. In fact, he did die for that. And he said, if it's not true, let's eat, drink, and party, because tomorrow we die. What does that mean? If in this life we only have fun and hope, we are all men most pitiable, miserable. Paul said, I'm waiting for that blessed hope. The last two verses. Verses 33 to 34. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness, do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And so I want to just say this, that I want to give you two closing points. First one, watch out who you associate with. Now this verse many times is pulled out, and it's a true verse. The statement is true regardless how you use it. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. And I want to say if you hang out with the wrong kids, you're going to do the wrong things. You are. If you hang out with the wrong people, you're going to end up doing the wrong things. However, I want, to, I want to turn it within the context of the text. If you hang out with people who don't believe in the resurrection, your faith is going to be diminished, and your ability to walk in the miraculous faith that God has called you to walk in is going to be nullified. 
Because if you're only hanging around people who doubt, if you're hanging around people who don't believe that the Word of God is the inerrant, without error, authoritative, fully complete Word of God from His heart to your heart that gives you everything you need for righteousness, for life, for training, for godliness, if you don't believe that, your faith is going to be diminished. And you're going to be looking for solutions within your own power. You're going to be looking for solutions within your own understanding. And you're going to be constantly frustrated because you're going to go from failure to success to failure to success. You're going to bounce around like a ping pong ball rather than going from glory to glory, which God wants you to do. So you need to hang around people who have faith. You need to hang around people who believe in the resurrection. You need to hang around people who believe in the Word of God. You need to rub up shoulders with people who got faith. Because when you do that and you get close to them, iron does sharpen iron and you get encouraged. But when you hang around people who go, well, I don't know, it may really go bad for you. Well, I don't know. I think this is the last lunch we're ever going to have. I want people who say, I don't know what God's will is for your life, Kirk, but I'm believing God to do something great and mighty in your life. And I know he's great and he's mighty and he's able to do exceedingly abundantly of all we ask or think. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to pray that over your life right now. And I'm going to believe God with you. And I'm waiting to see what God's going to open up in your life. I want that for you. You should want that for me. Those are the words of life we need to speak to each other, not words of doubt. Last point. Sorry, I called you up a little soon. It's okay. It's cool. Verse 34. Awake to righteousness. Do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Verse 4. It's time to awake to righteousness. It's time for us to just get out of our slumber. You know, we are in a moral divide in this country. And it's going to be easy for us to shrink back. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed fervently before the last election. And now we have a midterm election in November and everyone's just kind of going, <gasps> you know, no, man, if you look, it's not a political divide because the arguments and the anger aren't over issues of policy. They're over issues of morality. They're over issues of truth. They're over issues of faith. They're over issues of the truth of the resurrection. You say, well, they're not even talking about the resurrection. They are every day because they don't believe it. And when you don't believe the power of the resurrection, everything is going to be slanted toward a worldly view, a view that, that just elevates man, a view that looks to man as a solution. And there is no solution in man for this nation. And when you stand up for what you believe, when you proclaim the gospel, when you tell people you believe in a miracle-working God, when you speak from the Word of God boldly and with, without being ashamed, then you will be attacked, just like Paul was attacked. But we have to be willing to pay the price. Because I want to tell you, even if I die for my faith, I live. But if I don't die for my faith, I die. Let's stand.
reaching out for just one touch with nothing left to that song but just bow your hearts with me very quickly I just sense that I feel that there's some some in here this morning that your faith is just was like sitting on the edge of the fence you believe in Jesus you love him but yet there wasn't an excitement in your faith there was no power in your testimony Disappointment had crowded out all of those things. And life had just been beating you down with disappointments and the enemy's been just following that up with a whisper. Yeah, sure, God's a miracle-working God. Yeah, tell me about that with the situation you've just walked through. Yeah, what about your prayers that weren't answered? And I believe the Lord would just come to just overshadow you right now with his love and just to let you know that not one tear that you cried has been lost, but it's been kept in a bottle 
and stored before him. He has heard every cry of your heart and every ounce of your suffering and every moment of your disappointment. And he's been waiting just for you just to, to come and just, just put your hands out before him empty and ask him to be your rescuer. Not to try to fix it, not to try to make it happen, but just empty you come. And you just say, Rescuer, I'm on my knees right now. Deliverer, humbly I come. Speak your word over my life. Oh God, rekindle the flame of my love and my passion for you. The things of the past are under the blood. The things of the future are in your hands. Now just show me the next step to take, Rescuer. And I'll rise up in newness of faith and of love and of hope and of joy. And I'll proclaim that the resurrection speaks to me. It reminds me that I have a miraculous faith. It reminds me that this world is not my home. It reminds me that you're fulfilling all of your promises. and That everything culminates in the resurrection. And it reminds me right now that I need to live a life that's willing to die so that I can live a life that's willing and worthy to live. So Lord, we come and we ask you to do that mighty work in our lives. In Jesus' name. So I dismiss you. I'm just going to ask if Mission Sandy would come up and Terry and Tracy and I'm going to just give you a blessing and then they'll be here to pray with you if you need further prayer and ministry. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Go and be blessed today. Do one more thing for me. Get in your cars, crank up the air, and enjoy your day. God bless.